If you're glad you're here and you're ready to get to it, say amen. amen. Let's get to it. Turn your notes over, get your pages open there. Let's get to it. Today, we talk about godly parents and how they raise ungodly children. This is a, uh, a fascinating study that I, I find incredibly helpful. And I want you to um, pay close attention to a video that I'm going to show you that summarizes an answer to this question. One of the things that I think people ignore is the obvious. Uh, and there are obvious reasons if you look at a family's history as to why they end up having gaps. How could a person end up in a certain place? How, how did a whole generation get lost? Well, I want to show you uh, a video clip from the sermon last week. And there was an illustration I gave. And this illustration kind of highlights one of the potential reasons why some families have these big gaps and big issues. So watch the video, if you would, please. It's fascinating. You'll enjoy it. Watch the video. When you ask what happened to the children, I want to show you what happened to the children. It starts with the adults. Generally what happens is this guy, he's the first generation. This is the first generation. And this guy needs this guy to catch him. So if he leans back just a little bit, you catch him just a little bit, not all the way. There you go. This guy, now, if he's not there, there's a problem. Thank you. There's something about each person in each generation. They bring value. They teach something. They are the ones who pass down the baton. It all travels down the road to them. I have a pair of glasses in my hand. I want to show you something. What you're going to do is pass that to each guy in front of you. Pass it. Each guy gets a copy. Each guy gets it. Now I want you to see how important that is. Every guy gets it. Every person. Every individual. And that's how he got it. But here's the problem. He may not know where that came from. He doesn't know where his anger came from. He doesn't know where his drug habit came from. He doesn't know where it started. A lot of things are passed down. Sexual abuse runs in families. It's the tradition that at a certain age, girls are abused. It's a tradition. If you go back and look at it, it didn't just start. It didn't just show up. It's not new. Grandparents know. They saw it in the uncle's face. No one ever cornered him. No one ever challenged him. Come here, boy. You're out of control. Your life's out of control. You may be a good guy, but you're, you're off track. There's nobody there to say anything. And here's what happens. You ready? Watch what happens. Slowly you start snaking people out. Come stand over here for me, would you? You take out a guy. Now you got a gap. You got a gap here, people. What's going to happen if you take out a couple of more? You take this person out. You take that person out. Now you got a bigger gap. You take you out for a second. And now you got this, these guys here. And you spread them out. And you spread them out a little bit. And you go up a little bit further now. Watch this. If he falls, he lands. There's nobody to catch him. There's nobody to help with the bills. There's nobody to help with the education. There's nobody to encourage you. He falls down flat and he ends up mad with everybody. That's why he's so angry. You've seen it in the men's face. You've seen it. You've seen the fire and the anger. No one's to pass anything. They can't reach to pass anything to anybody. You think this is not you? Who's your great-great-grandfather? What's his name? Who's your great-great-great-grandmama? What's their name? You got a picture of them? I want you to think about it for a second. We have families with huge gaps. 
huge gaps. And you don't even know why you feel the way you feel, but you feel this way because of this. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you. Give them all a big hand, would you please? A great guy. That illustration struck the, the, the heart of a lot of people because it illustrates what happened to families. There's nobody for you to fall back on. There's nobody to help you. How did a family get to be so fragmented where there was no help? You take out a father. You take out a great-great-grandfather. You pass down anger. You pass down frustration. I think it's amazing when I said every family knows who it is. They know him. They've seen him look at girls before in the family, and it's the tradition that abuse starts at certain ages, and it becomes generational. How does that happen? Because we ignore the obvious. And that's how I believe godly parents raise ungodly children. Repeat it with me, please, that they ignore, they ignore. The, obvious. the obvious. Now, I want to preface this sermon with this statement. This sermon can potentially bother you. So let's be clear. This is not fun. Some of it is not fun. But it can explain some family tragedies and give you a pathway to creating a better family future. The key is that your family must be willing to get on another road. And you'll understand more what I mean by that in a minute. Your family's just on the wrong road. It's just not going to get you where you're trying to go. You're not going to Florida, going north on I-95. You just don't get there. And some things you're doing in your family just will not get you to the place you want to be. Some ways of thought, some ways of behaving. So I want to give you five personal observations about children that I've, I've kind of gathered, and these are just my personal observations. And, and some of it's drawn from last week's sermon, but let me give you the first one. First of all, children sometimes become ungodly, not because of the parents, but sometimes because, like Adam and Eve, they chose to rebel. Just like, just like Adam and Eve. It, it wasn't anything that was done to them. They, they made a choice. God didn't do anything to Adam and Eve. They made a decision, and your kids can choose. Come on, say, my kids, my kids can, choose can choose the wrong path. The wrong path. Secondly, sometimes the parents, though, ignore the obvious. I mean, look at it. Look, look at him. Look at her. Look at what they're doing. They're going to school, coming home with no homework every day. You think they're learning? They're going to college, but you haven't seen grades. You're scared to ask? For grades, you're paying for the education, right? But you won't ask. It's not obvious to you that she likes this and he likes that? It's not an obvious thing to you? Thirdly, sometimes the, they're afraid to confront the obvious because there's a consequence. Sometimes they have what I call old soul children. Say that with me, please. Come on. Old soul children. Who impressed them? A child is just smart. They're just advanced. They can talk. They can communicate. They're just good at it. And they can talk you out of anything or into anything. And you're impressed with that ability. So you let them lead the house. They're now parenting, and you're just kind of riding along. And it 
just cute to you that they, they're so smart. They're just smart. They're just smart. Also, children, and you're looking at one. I, I, am, I am, without a question, a classic old soul child. I was way older than my children. I mean, in terms of how I thought and processed. I mean, I was, at 15, I was able to live by myself. At 15, I was able to pay my lights, phone, and gas with nothing being cut off. At 15, my mother paid the rent. I paid everything else. 15. Oh, I was old, so. My mother said, oh, Rick, please. That was her, that was her statement. <laughs> Take care of himself. Wash his clothes, clean. Ricky, Ricky Temple is not an average 15-year-old guy. I was pastoring the church, this church, in my early 20s. 23, they're about. And when I came in, I came in with an agenda and a plan and a strategy and a series. Taught you through the Bible, starting in Genesis all the way through Revelation. The brother was, had finished college, was ready to rock and roll, taking Greek on the side. I was serious. I was, I was old as you get at 23 years old. I was old at, she said, 16. I was pretty old. So I understand the good and the bad. I want to write a book about it. As a matter of fact, I decided to do a series on it. And it's targeting single parents. It's the first time I've ever done one. I wanted to write the book, but I think I'm just going to preach it first, get it out of my soul first. And uh, it's called The Journey. And it's called Lessons, um, Lessons about Single Parents from the Single Son, from the Son of a Single Parent. And I want to share what I thought was good and what I thought was bad. I want to share the lessons I've learned. And one of the things I think that can be bad is you're so impressed with me that you forget I'm 13. And you allow, you allow yourself to switch roles and become this um, friend. Not that you need to become this mean person, but you really poison the person for the future because they don't have the ability. They think they have abilities they don't have yet developed. They think they do. But here's how you, you even just take care of yourself. Now, with me, catch this, I could, I could do that. See, that's even worse. I'm, wor I'm worse. I'm a probably a terrible example because I just get another job, work two jobs, make it happen at 16. I mean, I was just like that. But I grew up watching my mother work. If I got anything from her, it was a fierce work ethic. I am not too proud to do maintenance. What? Please. If it's going to make me eat, I will clean the floor. I have no problem. Some people, some preachers, they, 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 you know, I think that's their issue. They, they, they're not work driven. Some of them, when I mentor them, I, they work too slow. Don't respond. You got to move. You know what I mean? I want you to, I want you to get up man, like you're coming to work today. I need, I need to know that, John, don't be crazy. I want you to be nervous, but I want you to, we, we're, we are trying to get someplace. And there's something about, about, about having children like that that you, if you're not careful, you will surrender your title. And I don't mean for you to go home and start raising your voice and being mean and yelling, because that doesn't work for them. But don't, don't give, your, don't give your house over to people that God didn't call them to lead it. But you've got to take that right. You've got to take that right, because some of you are going to take it wrong, go home and create strife you don't need to create. My mother didn't do that with me. But she did right, if I can just belabor this for a minute. She always respected me. My mother never embarrassed me. My mother never called me out of my name. The worst my mother would say to me was, empty wagon makes a lot of noise. If she thought I was just rambling on, she said, an empty wagon makes a lot of noise. You're making some noise right about now. That, to her, it meant you're just talking a lot. And you need to hear what I'm telling you, Mr. Old Soul. You know, but she never yelled, cussed at me. My mother did not. It was not allowed in her home. There was no cussing. There was no, um, 
Um, never call me out of my name. Uh, we negotiated spankings when I was nine. No, we did. We had about nine or ten. We had a meeting. Because I told her, I said, you know, can we talk about this hidden thing? And, um, <laughs> and, she, and she, said, she looked at me like, really? I said, yeah. I said, tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. If you, you tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. Just don't hit me. And she said, okay, that's a deal. We shook on That was it. No more spankings. It was over. Everybody said, old soul. I mean, I meant that, I, and, and I did what she said. I said, well, clean the room up, what you want me to do, homework, come home a certain time. My mother n never had certain challenges out of me because she just made it plain. Okay, when the, when, the, when, the, you know, when the lights come on at night, at street lights, I need you to be in the house. And so that's it. I knew the deal. So I went home. She might have had to yell my name once or twice, but that was it. I'm home, but you got to hit me. You got to, you got to punish me. I hated punishments. And my mother, when she punished you, she didn't have any probation. If she said three days, it was three 24-hour days. You know, you can count down to the time you were free. And when your friends came by and asked, could you come out? She said, go to the door and tell them why you can't come out. And I said, oh, Jesus. I saw uh, and she's standing to see, make sure I told the truth. She'd be sitting over there to make sure. Now, I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm not saying that's the best plan. I'm just trying to say I believed her. I had faith. I believed what she said she meant. And so I grew up with that in my life, and I taught that to my children. I believe what I want them to believe me. I'm not lying to you. And I tell you this, I really mean it with all my heart. Um, and I think there are things that parents in particular don't always do because they have these old soul children. So I, I belabor that enough. All right, number, number, um, number five. Sometimes they fear, let me say them again. Sometimes, um, no, number five. Num sometimes they fear the consequences of confronting them. So th sometimes the reason that they end up with an ungodly child is because they're so afraid of the consequences of confronting them. They fear that if I confront you, then maybe you'll leave or maybe you'll get hurt. So if I, I, I just don't want to confront you. So if you're going to leave, you might leave the house, you might run away. Or you, know, or you might, uh, and kids use that against you sometimes. You know, or they might, what if they go out there and get hurt? I'll, I'll, I'll never forgive myself. So for that reason, you just don't confront them. And you train people to not be confronted. It's one of the greatest challenges in a church, managing churches, helping church people understand you can be confronted, and it doesn't mean I don't love you. If, if you're not doing a good job in an area that we put you, we can say that's not a good job. Or you want to you do something, we say, no, you can't do that. You know, but people, especially sometimes when they come to religious environments, they get really arrogant. On their job, they get it. But here they just get really spiritual. God told me that I should whatever. And so they feel that if you say no, you, you've wronged them. And so sometimes you raise children with that same mindset. They, they think you, you've wronged them because you, you say something. So that, to me, is, was tragic. And if you look at that, those, those five things, some of that's obvious to you. So the big question again is, what is obvious? Say it again. Come on. What is obvious about your children? What's obvious? When you just for my, look at that. Now, Eli is a godly guy. He has ungodly children. And I thought he'd be a great example to look at. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22 because in this story, you're going to see this guy who is um, who's incredible. He's, um, he, he's incredibly aware of what his kids are doing. It's obvious to him, but he's ignoring it. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. Eli was very old. He was not a young man. Please understand that. He's old. He's experienced. 
Eli was very old, and he heard, read this with me, please, in bold prints. Remember, the bold print is the big points I'm making, okay? He did what? Heard what? Everything his sons did to, to all Israel. And how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of, of meeting. He heard all of this. He, it was not a surprise to Eli. He, he, now, he is the head preacher guy. He is the priest. He's in charge. And he hears all this bad stuff, and he doesn't do anything. Here's what he does. Watch number two. He verbally rebukes them, but does not take any action. Verse 23. So he said to them, this is in 1 Samuel 2, verse 23. Why do you do such things? For I hear, I hear of your evil dealings with, from all the people. Those are strong words from my dad. Evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not good. It's not a good report that I hear. You make, you make, listen to this, you make the Lord's people sin. They were making people not want to go to church. You know, they had this horrible habit of taking people's offerings. People would bring a sacrifice. Uh, they used to bring the fat of the lamb to offer as a sacrifice, and they took it from people physically, snatched it. So people hated going to church. They hated being around. It was, it was horrible. Verse, verse, um, verse 24, No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. Verse 25, for if one man sin against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because oh, the Lord decided to kill them. That's another story. We'll come to that in a minute. But notice, this is, this is a horrible example of a guy in leadership, a parent who will not do anything. He's just going along. And so now I want you to think with me for a minute. Do you ever find yourself in this position? I have a rule, and uh, it's, 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 uh, it hasn't made everybody comfortable all the time, but it's, it's what I live by. And I, I never hire anybody I won't fire. If I like you so much that I wouldn't want to fire you, I never would hire you. And that's, that includes my wife and my children. My mother, bless her heart, passed on, but she, one time we had a discussion about her working for me. She wanted to work. I said, no, because I don't want to fire you. And you come in the house with one of my mother days. It's not going to work. So she got a little bit, you know, tiff with me, but it's all good. Because I knew I didn't want to fire. You fire your wife? I love dying. I love my children. I love them. They'll tell you. Now, I'll say this. Now, she's, they've heard this. I'm not making this up. I wouldn't hire her. She can, she, she, can, she can stay home, she can do something else, but if she works for me, she has to be able to see that. Now, see, some of you say, well, I know one thing. You wouldn't fire me. I wouldn't hire you. Put your hand on your hip. You'd be, <laughs> you'd be someplace else. Because, see, that way, that way, my wife's here because she's good at what she does. She's talented. She's, a, she's, a, she's, a, she's one of them people you want, I'm telling you. You're not going to get her. But she was those people you want to work for you. And I, I made my kids understand that. You know, you work for me. God bless you. I expect you to do your job. And they'll both tell you. So, oh, yeah, he'll call you. Come here. What you doing? You earn your keep? I need you to earn your keep. You're not here because your name temple. We get rid of the temples if we have to, including me. I believe I shouldn't be if I'm not doing my job. See, I, see, I'm real practical about stuff like that. Let me, let, me, let me get a sidebar. I haven't said anything like this in a long time, so I'm going to say it just to make the point. When I was in L.A., when I was in L.A., and I was pastoring two churches, anybody remember that? 
I fired myself. I, I put together a five-year plan for the church on the way. Good church. You're all watching. Good to see you. Love you. Hope you're here. Hope you're doing it. You got a great pastor. Great guy. But I put together a five-year plan, and I said, I, I, this, what we're doing right now needs to change. And I put my name on the layoff. I was laying off staff, and I put my name at the top of the list. I said, I'm going to lay off myself. Because what they need is a guy that's going to be there every day. And they got a good guy. Say amen. amen. So my point is, if I can fire me, if I can let me go, I can let you go. Come on, say amen. amen. And I think that's got nothing to do with anything personal. That's just the way it ought to be. So there comes a moment when this guy couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. And, and, and he would not listen. And so what happens is God speaks to him. Seven things God said to Eli. Now look at these. These are important. Now, Eli was told some of this by Samuel earlier, but he ignored it. So this is God's second time coming around to him. And there's, there's, a certain, there's a certain place here where God's trying to get his attention. God's trying to knock on his door. And, and he's, not, he's not really listening. And I want to just check something real quick for a minute, make sure I ain't telling you false doctrine. You know, every now and then you got to check yourself. Everybody say, hmm, just moan for a minute, just moan for a minute, just talk to God, tell God, say, Lord, I know you're able, I know God is able. Is he able? Yes. How many of you know God is able? He's able, praise God, he's able. God is able and will do great things, that's right. God will do what? Great will he save? Yes. Will he deliver? Yes. Will he bless? Yes. That was not correct. He had, this is the first time. You ready? First Samuel chapter 2. Look at this again, I was incorrect. That was, that was later, he tells him. He tells him again. Uh, he tells him again. Sometimes there's little facts that get away from you. So, I, you know, I want to be technically correct. First Samuel chapter 2, this is the first time a prophet comes to him. He's going to tell him again in chapter 3 and 4 through uh, Samuel. But look at this, and let me show you. Uh, chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 27. It said, the man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. So a prophet comes to him and says, I want you to know that I called you, God called you. Called you when you were in your father's house. Then secondly, he said, I promoted you. Not only did I call you, but I promoted you. He said these words, did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer up on my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod, ephod which is a, a holy garb before me. So I, say with me, say, I called you and I promoted you. Now watch this now. Then he says, number three, I paid you. I didn't ask you to work for free. I took care of your whole family. Verse, verse 28, did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? I, I, I paid you well. You guys didn't have to take anything from anybody because I gave you enough. I, and I think that's noble. I think that's a great thing. God, God put a system in place. It wasn't, I don't want you to be begging people. Okay? I want to just give you a good salary, take good care of you, and, and, and I'm going to pay you. So I called you, promoted you, paid you, but here's number four. You abandoned me, though. You cheated on the deal. Verse 29. And he says it this way, why did you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I commanded in my dwelling place? And why did you honor your sons? This is important, bold print. Why did you honor your sons more than me? 
You put your children in front of me. Your parents, you're a parent who put your kids in front of me. Wow. To make yourselves fat with the best of the offerings. You took the best of the offerings. You didn't have to do that, but you did it. So here's, what, here's the deal. I'm firing you. But I'm not just firing you. I'm firing your entire family for generations. Now, this is important because I want you to think for a second as you read through this. This is the part of the sermon that's troubling. Because here's the question I want you to think about. Has my family been fired? Is that a possibility? Is it possible that my family has made the same kind of decisions that this family has made, and we put ourselves in a place where God has said what he's about to say to this guy? You're trying to figure out all this stuff about, you know, people having difficult times. Could it be tied to something spiritual? Just think about it for a second. This is the part that troubled me. Here's what he said, verse 30. Therefore, the Lord God, Lord God of Israel said, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. That was the original plan. You guys are going to have permanent employment, permanent pay, Great job, great benefits, great life. But now, the choice you've made has changed the game. See, that can happen. People can change the game by choices they make. God's ability to identify your choice, my choice, is very important. You can cry, you can blame God for stuff. But he says, no, no, but you made those choices. But now, but now the Lord says, far be it far from me, far be it from me, for those Read this with me, please. This is important. For those who what? Honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be what? Lightly esteemed. Behold, verse 31, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel. You're going to see an enemy in my dwelling place. Enemies are going to come in my land. And he said these words. Despite all the good that I'm going to do for Israel, for the rest of the church, for the rest of the community, there shall not be an old man in your house for forever. That's a firing. I read that. I backed up and I said, is that my family, God? OK, so you want to blame somebody else. You want to make it somebody else's issue. You want to make it somebody else's fault. I'm not, I'll tell you, it's a bothersome sermon. Hang with me for a minute. It, it, may, it raises a question. When I had these guys line up up here, and I, I said, generational dynamics. OK, so okay, so you were a womanizer, right? OK, so your son's a womanizer, right? OK, and he's not faithful to his wife, you're not faithful to yours, and so the grandchildren are not going to be faithful to theirs, and so the women are going to get angry because they're going to feel abused, and so they're going to become sexually addicted because all of them are on the internet with you, looking over your shoulder, watching little dirty books, and so they're going to view women as objects, and then you're going to want to shoot somebody, somebody raping your daughter, right? But you got the same seed blowing in your family, okay? So I'm just trying to say, you don't see any connection to your choices and those behind you. There's no linkage. It's all just you. No, it's not just you. No. No, it's not just you. No, it's not just you. 
So he said this, I'm announcing judgment on your, we forgot the word sons. That's okay, you can write it in, right? Sons. Verse 33, 1 Samuel 2, 33. But if, any, if you, any of your men whom I did not, do not cut off from my altar, if I don't, now the ones I don't kill, the ones that don't die, they shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. When you look at them, you'll, you'll just be saddened. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now, now, now they shall be a sign, this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they're both going to die. Well, Reverend, I'm going to tell you now, you know, I could have stayed home for this, man. I'm going to tell you. I come up in here, you don't got me sad. Now you got me scared. You make, me, you make it sound like you're saying my family's cursed or something. What you trying to say? Let's not get all hung up on that. We talk, you know, we, took, we have these talk-throughs when I talk through the sermon, you know. And the staff, some staff people say, well, it sounds like you're saying they're cursed. I say, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not, let's change the word a little bit. Let's say certain things bring hardship. Here's the deal. I don't have to do anything to you. All I have to do is get you to eat sweets all the time. All I got to do is get you to not exercise, eat sweets. All I got to do is, and look, diabetes is the direct. All I got to do is get you to ignore your blood sugar. All I got to do is get you to, all I got to do is get you to ignore that stuff, right? All I got to do is get you to do that. I don't have to do anything to you. I don't have to do anything to you. I don't have to do anything to you. Here's what I can teach you. Clean your plate. Eat everything I put on there, even though you didn't put it on there. Everything I put on here, you eat everything on this plate. I'm sorry, hang with me. Love me, love me. You know, you know you're full, but you're going to eat it. So you, you train your body to eat everything even when you don't need it. So you create an expensive disease you don't need when you, you, you pay for it down the road. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm spitting now. That's anointing. You got that? That's heavy. Strong. <laughs> That's not happening. Let me on the third row say, stay back, Pastor Rick, stay back. <laughs> but you get the point. There's something powerful that happens when you realize, okay, that's sincere. I understand, you know, we want poor people that don't have food to eat. But you're overdoing it. Back up for a second. All you got to do is think that way and feel, feel obligated to eat what they put on your plate at some restaurant that you didn't size up. All you got to do is go to Europe and you realize it's twice the size. When I went to Europe, the shocking thing was, where's the rest of it? You Americans eat too much. That's what they say. You pile it on, you pile it on, you pile it on. These, these, rest, these, these bars, you just go there, man, you just pour up, pile it on. So I don't feel like coming back. You might need to come back. All you got to do is stay on that road and you'll gain weight. I don't have to do anything to you. All I got to do is put a little card in your pocket for a $30,000 limit on it, right, with your $25,000 income, and let you go down to the mall and charge up your stuff. The debt will get you. Because you don't, oh God, if I've learned one lesson in my life, you don't win the debt battle. Don't you understand that people who made these cards are smarter than you? You know what it's called? It's called the power of compound interest. Come on, come on. The power of what? Compound interest. If you're on the wrong side of that, you lose. If you're saving money, like $50 a month, and you, you're investing in a mutual fund or some fund that gains you 5 8 10% a year, you're going to do well long term. Compound interest is going to make you wealthy. But if you owe $5,000 and you're on the negative side of that, and you owe 20 25%, 30% help us God on a credit card, 
and you're making the minimum payment, you'll owe until you die. They know that. That's why they gave it to you. That's why they tell you 90 days, same as cash, or six months, same as cash, or 18 months, same as cash, because 80% of the people don't pay it. And all the interest compounds and hits you on that 90th day. And they know you're not going to pay it because you don't like paying stuff. They looked at your credit report. They know you don't like paying people. That's why they gave it to you. They're smarter than you. Don't you know they're smarter than you? Hi, glad you're here today. Would you like to get a credit card today? We can, we can do it for you instantly. We can give you instant report, instant, instant approval. Wonderful. We'll give you 10% discount for getting this card today. Wouldn't you like to save 10% on this, on this purchase? Sure. Sure. And take five years to pay for it. Sure. I'm not, I'm not against credit cards. I got nice cards. I do. I mean, I can probably impress you. But I'm telling you, now is the devil in your pocket. If you don't know how to manage it, it will hook you and drag you down and kick you and say, you better pay me. I'm going to mess up your credit report, and I'm going to tell everybody you don't pay, and you won't be able to buy a doghouse when I'm finished with you. If you don't believe me, don't make that payment. They'll call your house. They'll call your job. They'll levy you. They'll put a lien on your house and on your dog. Your poor dog be walking around with a sign like, ruff, ruff, ruff. they're going to take me back. <laughs> they come get your dog. If he costs enough money, take you to court. They find out that dog worth $5,000. That dog going with them. Fido will be their dog. Visa dog. Be Fido will be Visa dog. Take him. Anyway. Where was that? Y'all got me lost. <laughs> I better get on number seven. Some of you say, that's right, get on off there, get on off there. I'm sending you a replacement, he said, and I will not prosper your family. I'm sending you a replacement. Here's what he said, verse 35. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what? is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before me anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow, and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please, please, please put me in one of the priestly positions. Please hire me back that I may eat a piece of bread. I want my old job back but I won't hire you back. This is tough reading, but here's the question. Does this sound like your family? Do, you, do your young men die young? Does your family live in a constant state of need? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 36. Remember, please, please, please. Has your family done something I call cross the Eli line? A line of compromise, a decision that, that nine out of ten of your family members have decided we will not obey God. We will not. Boy, this is tough stuff. This can make you frustrated, but here's the question. Can this be turned around? Here's the answer. Everybody say yes. yes. See, I believe that everything I've said is what can happen to you. It does explain why some people have had these results, but it doesn't have to be the final chapter. 
This doesn't have to be the end of it. And I, and I gave you a sermon title I've changed around a little bit, and I want you to, to kind of scratch out and write in what I'm going to tell you. Next week, I'm going to talk about how godly families, I did say I'm going to talk about how godly families, let me see how I worded it, I said how godly family turn around ungodly circumstances, but I've changed that. Here's what I'm going to call it next week. How godly families turn around a distracted generation. Say that with me, please. Come on. A distracted generation. Here's what I believe. Part of the reason why this happens is because parents become distracted. They forget their purpose and their assignment. It's when you lose sight of what's obvious and you get distracted, then you can't turn around. But if you can hear a verse I'm going to preach on next week. It's in, it's in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Here's what Joshua said. As for me and my house, I don't know what anybody else is doing. I don't know what anybody else is doing. I don't know where anybody else is going. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my what? House. We're going to do what? Serve the Lord. There's that moment when you say to yourself, okay, listen, this is going to, this is going to happen to my cousin, my nephew, my friend. doesn't matter. But as for me and my house. The greatest decision Diane and I ever made was that as for us, as for our home, we can't control all of our family members, our extended families, but we can't control what happens in this house. And so as for me and my house, and that means that when we interact with you, you have to understand our standard and where we are. We're not being condemning. We're not, we're not cold-blooded or anything. We're just simply saying, as for me and my house. Ricky Temple decided that he doesn't want to be that kind of guy. I've decided I don't want to be bound. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want that in my life. I, I want to look at what's obvious, and I want to make sure that I focus on what's ne necessary. This generation is distracted. I heard a great line that was said one time to some students in school, and it was said to kids. It was really a simple statement, but it, it has stayed with me for, the, for years. They said, kids get confused about why they're in school. This is not about me. I have a degree. This is for you. You need a job. I've got one. See, I'm working. I'm getting paid. You need a job. So cussing me out doesn't help you. You're using cuss words you can't even spell. I don't understand why. Why are you confused about what this means? I mean, this is a distracted generation that doesn't understand. And somebody has to pause and say, you know, this is, this is, this is there's obviously a problem. And then, you know, if I can close it and, and say, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that all week. You know, okay, how distracted we get and how it, some things are just so obvious and we miss it. And I was, I was in the hallway the other day, and I was singing. You know, I was just clowning around. And, uh, and John, John Williams, you know, if you know John, he likes to sing. And he'll sing around the building all the time. He's always singing. And so I was in I was standing in the hallway, and I was singing this song. That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. Can't you hear them singing? Ooh, right? And John heard me. John jumped right in. And before you know it, we were singing Sam Cooke. And I'm telling you, something came over me. I never looked up Sam Cooke's life, ever. So let me start at the end, and let me work my way back. In the end, in Sam Cooke's life, he died in a hotel room in LA, on Figueroa, uh, with a lady of the night. Uh, the, the story's very, but one story says that um, the lady who shot him was a lady known to run prostitutes too, so however it worked, bottom line, he's in the wrong place with the wrong people. He took his clothes and she ran out and left him in the house and he came out and he was mad and went to her house, went to the lady, the, the, the lady at the front desk and demanded to know where the woman was with his clothes and she, and they, they got into it and 
and she shot him, killed him, shot him three times. End of his life. Did you know, fast forward, beginning of his life, you know Sam Cooke was a gospel singer? And in the 50s, he was one of the top, the top gospel singers. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, this guy could really sing. I love that song, You Send Me. Oh, man, remember that? I mean, you, no, don't try, Pastor, don't try, don't try, don't try, don't try, don't try, don't try. But you know, you know, you send me, oh, man, that thing used to send me. I used to think, boy, that's a great song. I, used to, I was a kid singing that. I used to sing around my house, you know. But, but, but you know, I, I, I was listening to the interviews, and he was with a group called Soul Stirrers. And one of the guys in the interview said, you can Google all this to find it. He said, um, Sam used to get all the girls. And I thought to myself, aren't we a gospel group? <laughs> and something just, something just came on me all of a sudden. I said, wait, 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 wait. Back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. Back up. I can say he got the Holy Ghost. I can get that far. You know, he, he get, <laughs> I can understand. But I want you to understand, obviously, obviously nothing putting anybody down. It was obviously a, a issue. This was... This was part, and listen, you can pretend if you go into church, you know some of you have been, okay, everybody can look really innocent now. This time look really holy. But this was something that had been along around a while. Not putting anybody down, not judging anybody, got no rocks to throw. I'm just making a point. It's obvious. And, and as I, and I started doing research and I've been praying and I mean, I think he's making 12 million a year at the time he died. He's making a lot of money. Driving a brand new Ferrari, big wad of cash, flashed it in the club. Why in a club? Your dad is a preacher, PK. All this interests me. How do you have, how do you, how do you end up there? How? So, some things are so obvious and you're not paying attention, in your own soul, in your own life, in your own appetites, I can simply listen to what entertains you and learn a lot about you. The words in the songs, the movies you enjoy, the things that you tolerate, what you scroll around the internet and see. I'm, I'm just, what does it say? Are you across the Eli line? Are you in a place that God cannot prosper and cannot bless. Joshua said, as for me, in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is not about perfection. This is about honesty for a moment. I want to give you something to think about. I want you to go home and read First Judges chapter, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 24. I want you to just think about that for the week. I want you to read that chapter and come, come back next week. And I'm going to talk to you about a great lesson I learned in that chapter. And I want to show you how one guy made a decision that changed everything, and so can you. You can make this decision today that can change your future and, and give you a new place to start. Joshua chapter 24, read it this week. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for the word today. I thank you for all that's been said. We leave this place with an awareness that you touch lives. We're not perfect people. We make mistakes. We need, we need your help. We need your presence. I ask you in Jesus' name to move by your spirit among us. I ask you in Jesus' name to embrace, to lift your people. 
Put your arms around us. We're flawed. We get distracted. This generation does not need our condemnation. They need our guidance. So help us, Lord God, to hear you today. Touch every mind. Touch every heart. Touch every soul. <clears throat> Lift every spirit. Yeah. Some feel so bad. They feel so bad. They feel so hurt. But God, I know you can deliver them today. Some feel so guilty. They feel like, man, I know I've crossed that line. But thank you, Jesus. You can bring us back. But I have to face what's obvious. And we throw stones at no one, Lord. Not Sam Cook or anybody, nobody. All of us have rocks. All of us have stone. All of us have seasons of growth. Some pay a higher price than others. Some of us said, I could have been me. But Lord, I pray today that we leave this place with a commitment to let your spirit guide us. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd say, Pastor, pray for me.